this team right here. War got lucky. <laughs> the night before SummerSlam 1992, and we're facing off against the ultimate Wolfrack loser and the Macho Mama. <laughs> we're ready to nasty size you all over England. <laughs> we're the greatest nasty team, nastiest team of all time. We're gonna be doing a lot, lots of nasty sizing all over the ultimate loser, the ultimate Wolfster, and Macho Mama. You're happy. Nasty size. Nasty size and all over England. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest on World Championship Wrestling. It is set for one fall. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, Event Status Radio. They're recording again. Aha. Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Live from somewhere in YouTube. And recording live, probably from the boiler rooms, are the letters U through U, Q through U. This is Mid Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. And joining me is my podcast partner, representing the letters 90210, is Mr. Beverly Hills. Beverly, what's happening? Not much, man. We're getting down there, we're getting close to the end. It is kind of sad that we're getting close to the end, but with what we see on this week, I am just about ready to call to call to close. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't say I'm against you on that one. All the thing I had to say about this series is that is that we're the main event studies crew, and we always get our man. <laughs> yep, you got it. Which leads us to, I guess, our first letter for this. For this edition of the podcast, it's a letter Q, as in the Quebecers. Yeah, I didn't have much for Q. That's the only thing I could think of was Quebecers. I couldn't think of much else so, for that young letter. What is the first thoughts that you have on the Quebecers? Oh, I got to think Mounties on that one. I had to think about their awesome theme song. They're the Quebecers, and they always get their man. No, they didn't say we're the Quebecers. They go, we're not the Mounties, oh, and we bad. always get the man. If you're going to quote it, man. I'm sorry. Because because the the deal is that they used to, at the beginning of their sign, they would say, we are the Mounties. But then the Royal Canadian Mounted Police got upset at that because they were portrayed as bad guys and inept and all that. So they started saying, we're not the Mounties. And in their sign, they go, we're not the Mounties because we always get our man. So that's why. I'm sorry, I haven't listened to their themes on lately. My bad. <laughs> it's always in my brain. So the promo that we get was... The impression I got was shortly after the Quebecers won the tag team titles from the Standard Brothers uh, from sure. Raw. When, yeah, and that's in 93, right? Yeah, I think 93, yeah, yeah where the Quebecers uh, fought the Standard Brothers in a Quebec rules match or something like that yep. for the tag uh-huh, titles. Yep. Right. 
So they were just pretty much going over. The Quebecers were pretty much putting over that. They won the beat the Steiner brothers for it, and the Steiner brothers. Yeah, see, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, the, the Quebecers are the number one Tate team, and no one, nobody's going to change that. Yeah, well, and that the Steiners are the thirty seventh ranked <laughs> Tate team, and they're not going to get a. <laughs> they're not going to get a, a rematch very soon. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like, Johnny, we got Johnny Polo in this uh, promo as well. He's their manager at the time. So we'll maybe see him later. <laughs> uh, uh, um, what is your thoughts of Johnny Polo as a, as a mouthpiece for a tag team? I hated Johnny Polo as a manager. I thought it was just not good at all. I don't know. I thought he... I don't know. I don't think he really added anything to these guys, I guess. Mostly because I don't think he really fits with these two. I mean, it's really just like a lot of evil laughing. Like from all three of them, just a lot of... <laughs> I, I guess I, I back then I felt like he gelled well with those two. I uh, never... I guess I never had a problem with it, even nowadays. But sure. I guess you know, kind of hearing like hearing like what you said. I guess the Quebecers really didn't need a mouthpiece since both of them were fairly decent on the mic anyway. Yeah, I think Jock is quite good. I also thought this clip was funny because we have Ray Rougeau kicking it to Jacques <laughs> Rougeau, which is, which is funny for me. Uh, old, old. Well, I mean, always brother, but old uh, partner <laughs> from the, from the eighties when they were the uh, Fabulous Rougeau's superior tag team, in my opinion. You can't really beat all American boys. Well, what can I guess? What can you say? Since we are pretty close to the Quebec Minnesota border. <laughs> Uh, in fact, there is none. So, Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. so we might as well get into your the... geography teacher needs to go back to school if you think there's a Quebec Minnesota border. <laughs> so we also talk about the match that we reviewed for the, for this podcast is the Quebecers versus Armageddon. Yeah, Quebecers oh. <laughs> versus Armageddon. So this match happened at WWE Shotgun Saturday night from April 29th. 1998 and okay i was trying to think of when this would have been i had it narrowed down to 98 i was use i was trying to use like context clues like we were close to judgment day we were close to the inferno match i didn't look it up but i was guessing 98 so thanks i think it said that in in the comments since i don't know how else i would get the date yeah i didn't look at it and also in the i think the comment section did you know if it wasn't for this for this, I wouldn't know who in the heck, heck they are. It's Armageddon is Poirier in Buchanan. Yeah, all you gotta do is listen to Jim Ross say it. <laughs> Poirier. 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 <laughs> it just how it's spelled out and how you pronounce it is completely different, in my opinion. Correct. Which is why it's cool that we have somebody saying it, yeah. so we can listen to it. Knocker. <laughs> Yeah, but they were form- that's the person. <laughs> they were formerly known as Recon and Sniper of the Truth Commission. Correct. So I want to get, ask if you know anything, any story behind on why the Truth Commission broke up and we got Armageddon. Right, well, I remember this because I watched Shotgun Saturday Night. It was my only way to consume WWE programming uh, from he when did when did I start 
maybe 97, like in the summer of 1997. It was on one of those like, uh, like sub channels. We like didn't have cable. 23 or 29 or something oh, like that. We're going even farther, like channel six, right? <laughs> like that didn't even have like the full national distribution. It was like the, the regional uh, ABC affiliate. So they had to fill where they could, right? And Shotgun Saturday Night. I don't even know how I found it. I think I was like paging through the TV guide and I saw like WWF <laughs> and I was like, oh, wrestling, yes. So they, uh, this was like a, a storyline that seemed to play out only on Shotgun Saturday Night. So <clears throat> the Truth Commission, which was... Sniper, Recon, Kurgan the Interrogator, and the Jackal, right? The yep. Jackal, who is Don Callis, uh, started veering off from the army gimmick, whatever they were doing, and into more of like a cult leader thing. And the storyline is that these two didn't like it or didn't appreciate it or whatever, and they left. And they weren't around very long. So was, so when I saw this as the first option, I was like, that's cool, because these two, as a tag team, didn't last for a whole heck of a lot of time. Okay, so yeah, I was going to say that I don't I don't know if we'll, we'll ever really get to review any Shotgun Saturday Night on the <laughs> podcast. And like you said, you know, for just then and previous on this series that... You know, this series will bring up bring about matches and wrestlers and tag teams that we most likely will never get around to touching on. So it was nice for me to see this match and watch a match from Shotgun Saturday Night because I think right around this time I was watching a few Shotgun Saturday Night episodes when I, I'll see when I was younger. At, I think at this time I did have cable and I didn't stay up that late on Saturday nights. And I think all your memories I have of Shotgun Saturday Night is their like their bumper going into coming out of commercial or whatever of like the gal and chaps dance with the shotgun or whatever. Man. When when di- when the dirty puppy became the dirty dog yeah. is what is what we would call that. I think. Yes, gorilla. <laughs> Maybe no, very I'm... very doggish. Oh, I think you're gonna say something else. Um. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, like you said, yeah, I don't know if these guys were ever on a pay per view. Uh, they might have been in that WrestleMania Battle Royale. But other than that, I don't know if they were ever on a pay-per-view otherwise. So you're right, probably would never see them. So this is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, the clip starts up with a couple things, kind of building, building up the Unforgiven pay-per-view, like you mentioned. The, the clip originally opens up with an ad for Stone Cold Steve Austin's Wanna Raise Some Hell t-shirt, which I kind of wanted to order. So just that, then we see a clip about you know what happened this past. Oh, the so-called T-shirt, yeah. Yeah, then we see a clip from this past Monday night on Raw with Triple H and Owen Hart and la di da di da whatever. So I fast forwarded through that. We did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I don't really think that really matters us talk, talk about it anyway. So we exactly. finally get the match. Yeah. And what's your th- thoughts on the this version of the Quebecers wearing that blue tight stuff? Right. I was gonna say this is kind of like. Quebecers part three, I guess, because we had the Mounties-esque stuff from, like, the promo, for which would be them from, like, 93 to 94, 95. Then they went to WCW as the Amazing French Canadians, and I don't even know what they looked like there. But now, yeah, here they are in uh, back in WWF. 
as the Quebecers. I, th- I guess I, I thought they were always the fr- amazing French Canadians, but whatever, Quebecers, it says. Yeah, they're wearing, like, the long singlets, which is always an interesting look to me, like the pants with the tops. Uh, powder blue. Doc has a skull ponytail, <laughs> which looks just frightening. Uh, Pierre is wearing an eye patch because I think that's legit. Yeah, that, that is legit. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I did hear through another podcast. I wish I didn't know what where, but he did. He either wrestled with the eye patch or actually had a legit glass eye. And oh, really? I, yeah, I thought that would be extremely hard to wrestle. But if you're so used to having just one of your own eye, I guess you get used to it. Sure, but I got to think it's probably more safe for him to use the eye patch. Yeah, just in case. Then using a glass, that would be terrible if for some reason it either dislodged or broke. That would be awful. That would be a terrible accident. So I knew a guy in who I grew up with who had only one eye. Oh, really? Did he he have an eye patch or a glass eye or anything? He he wore a glass eye and then he wore glasses. And the, uh, the reason I found out that he had a glass eye was I once asked him why he wore glasses, like if he was nearsighted or farsighted, and he, and he goes, no, I have perfect sight. I go, why? What's the deal? And he goes, don't you know, I only have one real eye, so <laughs> I wear glasses as protection. <laughs> so Makes that's what I, I was like, oh, duh, yeah, because you don't want to get that other one poked or whatever. Well, as to say, uh, with your, the, the... protection on his other eye, though. I was to say, uh, you were talking about that, did... Do you ever pay, did that glass eye like move around like normal eyes do? Did the glass... no? I guess I didn't look. I guess I can't recall, but okay. I don't think so. Yeah, I was to say that'd be kind of weird to pay attention to that to really be mean or anything. I was like, looking look into my two eyes with your one eye, so I can see what the other one's doing. <laughs> okay, but yeah, the Jim Ross and Jim Cornette are 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 commentators for this match. Right, interesting commentary team for sure. Well, especially I was surprised to hear Corrent mention stuff from WCW and the Omni a few times in regards to the do love Steve Austin feud that we will see at Judgment. Right, or was it in in that one? I thought he was talking about the Road Warriors because he's talking about the scaffold match. Somebody, somebody, I thought he mentioned. Dude Love and Steve Austin too, but he may have mentioned talk about the Road Warriors as well. I just I didn't right. catch that part of what Cornet was saying. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the um when he talks about the Omni, he's talking about the Road Warriors because he's talking about um <clears throat> them facing off against DX, I wanna say. And they'll be and you know, they've been down the road of crazy matches because he remembers them on a scaffold match. He he did talk about Dude Love and he was talking about how People were discounting him because he was being the wacky guy, but he remembers when he faced Undertaker and was flying off the cage and stuff like that. Yeah. What's As your, mankind. What's your thoughts on, I know Vince McMahon is really, in WWE is very no-no on stuff like that. What's your thoughts on Cornette going off about uh, previous wrestlers and different promotions like that? Because I feel like that added a lot to those feuds. Well, I mean, he... It was literally like half a second, so I don't think it, it added too much, I guess. The Mankind thing, that's part of storyline. The Road Warrior thing, he didn't say the promotion. He didn't say Midnight Express. All he said was Scaffold and the Omni. So someone would like have to look that up to, okay. to really know. 
You know what I mean? Like they'd have to actually be like, oh, Cornette, Omni, you know, and I don't know if anybody was doing that. So, but I I do like when people play off earlier things. I do. I guess, I guess, you know, I just remember, duh, internet really wasn't much of a thing in 1998. If it was, very few people had it. It was dial-up. Took forever for to go to one page and all that. So, yeah, you know, it's not like, I think it would. It's not like today in 2015 we can look up look up something. Bam, we got it. Right. I think it'd be one of those things where like that's almost just almost an Easter egg to folks who actually knew it already. Yeah. So makes sense. Then uh, I guess I'll uh, kick it to you for this match. All right. Sounds good. So um, near the near the beginning. We saw something that was kind of a, a, uh, I don't know, a skill that he had a lot, which was Pierre being very agile for how big he was, and he did a really uh, good-looking shoulder block uh, to one of Armageddon, and I know he he always when they would do kind of double team moves, he would be the one that would go up top, which is funny because he's the bigger, bigger guy, of yeah. the of the two in the team there. Um, well, think, oh, sorry, go think, ahead. Think of it. I just had the thought I should probably know this either way, but Pierre, he was, was he John Paul of Feet or whatever before? That pirate guy yeah. that had the awesome inner, in your house match with Bret Hart? Right on. You got it. Okay. Just, and like I said, I know I shouldn't put two and two together, but I just wanted to, I just thought about that and wanted to uh, verify my thoughts. <laughs> yes, he would be. Uh huh. Okay. Right now I'm looking up and I don't. I can't remember who Poirier was. Luke Poirier, it says. I don't know what he he ever really did. I'm just looking not really, here. Must not have been too much then. No, it, was, it looks like he was just very much like a Canadian wrestler after his, after his time and I guess before too. He apparently wrestled under the name Rambo. He achieved his greatest success in Austria and Germany. Okay, all right. So he so he was in in that um in that circuit, the CWA circuit. Okay, okay, all right. Rock on. So he had a really cool looking uh, power slam on to uh, one of the one of the Canadians there. Um, Let's see. Oh, did you? I one of my favorite spots was when Jacques did a kip up into a drop kick, then back down and did like two more kip ups, and then when he did the last one, Bo Buchanan just smashed him with a lariat. <laughs> oh my gosh, that whole sequence, that like 30, 30 45 second sequence, was just looked fantastic, and it, also pretty cool that Jacques Rougeau at age you know, whatever was rocking uh, the Kip-Ups in succession, because that's pretty badass, I thought. Since, um, since we watched the Sid and Luger match from, from last week or whatnot, do you think Sid could do the double nip-ups like that? Maybe in 1990 or whatever he was doing it. I don't think if you put Sid at whatever age Jacques Rougeau was at, in 1998, he could have though. <laughs> he might. I think they would look a lot different. Sid, Sid <laughs> may have broken a leg or two if he would have done that. Oh shoot! <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I had to be goofy. I'm sorry. I'm in a, I'm in a good no, mood. You're, pro- 
Yeah, he'd just it'd be dangling there. That'd be, that'd be <laughs> um, you know, I just kind of thought that this was overall, at least at this point, a good looking match. Um, but this is all this is like up your alley. The crowd was doing them no favors. Yeah. Um, they were, and I, and I mean, I get it. Saturday or uh, what's the? Shotgun Saturday Night. Yeah. <laughs> Shotgun Saturday Night tapings either are before, usually before Raw, right? Yeah, I assume so, yeah. At this point. So, you know, people aren't super into it. They're not, probably everybody isn't even in their seats. So they they aren't doing the, these guys any favors. But I did think at this point we did have a pretty good um, match going. Yeah, I, uh, Things kind of broke. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I feel like all four guys worked really hard and and all that, and did you know? Yeah, gave their best to the fans who were actually there and paying attention. I love it when you quantify things like give their best. That makes me just so happy. The guys, so. the guys are giving their best. Uh, at least I'm <laughs> giving them. The, I got you interviewed. Them. I'm giving them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, Beverly Hills. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just like that. Did their best. <laughs> I, I like to think that when I'm at my job, someone's watching and they go, he's doing his best. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Great. <laughs> so, so things kind of broke down. We got some double pen- punches in the corner from the Armageddon team. And this is kind of where I, like, to myself, realized that one of the reasons why the crowd probably wasn't into this is that... um. Armageddon are coming off of this turn that was so uninspiring, right? Like, who cares that the two other guys of the Truth Commission turned face, right? Like, who who give two, you know, tosses about these guys, right? So when they went up for the 10 punches, I was like, yep, here's why. Because no one cared about oh. the 10 punches in the corner for these guys. I did take note about already getting to the double team 10 punches in the corner and I am surprised Jim Ross did not go oh, off Jesus. on them in the, at the commentator's booth. Yep. You're right. Why, why ain't they bleeding? By God! By God! By God! Sauce it! He <laughs> <laughs> got, got any more Jim Ross? <laughs> Catchphrases that you want to throw in out there because you hit about everyone. <laughs> Good God Almighty! You just so what you What you think when Armageddon did like uh, the almost three D, but instead of the cutter as the back end, flipped it into a power bomb? That, that looked pretty cool. I was I was amazed at that. I'm like holy crap, that could end pretty wrong if he didn't try to halfway catch him power bomb and drop him and all that. Yeah, for sure. If he didn't rotate him all the way around, if it, he could have just spiked him right on the top of his head. So that could have went wrong really quickly. Probably why you don't see that um, move very much. Yeah. And it's surprising that wasn't the three. I think that's got to be the three if you hit a double team, like 3D power bomb. But especially when we see what is the... Um, finish that comes right next, which is just Jacques getting one of Armageddon in a Boston crab and then Pierre hitting a leg drop on the back of his head, which does look cool. But I think when you compare it to the other 
Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look as spectacular. Right, like after a normal match, you finish it with the Boston Crab leg drop combo. Pretty sweet. When it comes five seconds after a double team powerbomb, eh, maybe not so much. Yeah. Oh, by the way, double team powerbomb. I do remember that going bad. Shoot, I think either Canyon and Raven did it. Oh, no, sorry. Shit, who would Canyon, who would Raven's part of me? I don't know. Raven and somebody did it to either Canyon or DDP or flip it. Canyon and DDP did it to some. Somebody Raven and something went really wrong, but I now I can't remember. But that's, I that's no good. I rec- that late WCW made ninety nine two thousand. So okay. that's probably why. <laughs> so the winners. Um, are, so the winners are the Quebecers. I uh, ready this match. One star. I went two stars. I liked the you know just simply enjoyment level. I thought the big moves looked really cool. Um, it could have been a lot better if it was a little more crisp. The moves were kind of executed better and kind of like the string of them together. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it at just like a base level. Because uh, I felt like, well, you know, since I'm a big opponent or proponent of the announcers talking about the match, I feel like Jim Ross and Jim Cornette were pulling a WCW-esque announcers team on talking more about the pay-per-view main event than the match that they're the match that's on right in front of them. Okay, so you rated the answers. How about let's rate the match? Okay, the match. I <laughs> I didn't feel like the team both teams really had any chemistry with each other. Sure, sure. And you know yeah. I had a tough time staying connected to the match and staying paying attention to the match to take much of any notes. Sure. So. Okay. And after the clip, we saw some more personal thoughts on Unforgiven with a video package between Kenny and Undertaker. They ran down the matches. Who cares? J- Double J would be at concert at the pay-per-view. whoop do you do Oh, I didn't see that. I, I stopped it after. I don't Quebec blame you. <laughs> so the next letter we get is a letter R for Johnny Polo. Well, I mean, yep. Raven. Yep, R for Raven. You got it. So what's your thoughts, when you, what's your first thoughts when you hear the name Raven? Oh, well, the first things I think about is him in ECW and, uh, you know, really where he came as a, as a, as a character, as a wrestler. And it's so, it's so interesting to see just in four years from Johnny Polo to the fully formed Raven character. It's, Really, quite the transformation. Yeah, what, what my first thoughts on Raven are his awesome, even flow DDT. I feel like he, and we talked about this before, I, I feel like him and Arn Anderson and Jake the Snake are three of the greatest guys who hit the DDT. And I feel like Raven has a lot of Jake the Snake in his delivery of the DDT and how he does his promos and matches. And also, yeah. Also, besides, still have influence there. besides the DDT, I also think of the flock from WCW. Right on. Yeah, me too. That was, I don't know why, I don't know why I really got into that, but I really did. And I found the flock very interesting. And kind of talk about Johnny Polo and Raven Lowe being the same guy. I never knew until I guess I got into the, more into the internet and more into being. Uh, smart, I guess, you know, more on the back history of wrestling and all that, I didn't realize 
Raven was Johnny Polo before. Right, and you know, I never knew that either. You know the person who would always, like, enlighten me on that? Who? My mom. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, that looks, a, that looks a lot like that guy from, you know, bef- whatever. You, her, her best ones were, like, from uh, AWA guys. Yeah. And she would, like, or, or the best one was, she's like, I'm like, oh, Undertaker, he's so scary. She's like, don't be scared. That's me, Mark. That's just that's the same guy who was mean Mark. There's no reason to be as scared of him. <laughs> so she would uh, a little five year old Beverly Hills breaking quasi breaking kayfabe, but more just to try to help me out. <laughs> Mother Hills was the greatest. Oh, you got that right. You got that right. So the promo that we get is I don't remember what pay per view it would be, but it's building up. We're leading. We're leading up to barely legal ninety seven, the very first ECW pay per view. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I know I could have looked up the the pay per view, but I didn't. But yeah, Raven was building up the match where he him as an ECW champion would face either the winner of or the winner of either the Sandman, Steven, Stevie Richards, or Terry Funk. Yes, they were having a three way dance. Uh, Right prior to the match with Raven, and I and Raven tied in each guy in with his quote unquote childhood and all that. How Raven had a you know storyline wise rough upbringing and all that, and tied in with each guy with his part of his life and tied in, which I really like, tied in Terry Funk in with his dad. Sure. Um, so you enjoyed you enjoyed this. What did you you yeah you were a big fan of this promo, right? Yeah, yeah. Once I yeah, watch, when sweet. I watched this, I emailed you right away and said I really really love this promo of Raven. Cool. I I did not feel like well this promo was I think a little bit more than six minutes long. To me, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like six minutes long. Cool. I really think this is something that like this is a personal taste thing. Like, and I was reading the comments and they're very like gushing over it. You know, I just didn't get it. <laughs> and I think that's just me. Like I'm, geez, I don't know. I don't know if I want it to be like more either like super cartoony or really real because like this to me came off really fake and really like I'm reading lines and I am the actor Raven. Okay. I am. I'm delivering my lines to you, and I to and you know ugh, I don't okay. know. Well, here's the thing: why I feel like I connected with this promo. How uh, Raven, the character Raven, you know, he grew up being a loner in high school, was an unpopular guy, never got invited to parties. That was me in real life high school. I was the loner. I was never invited to parties. I went to school, did my thing. Went home, you know. When I was sixteen, I got a job. I went to school, you know, went to school, went to my job, went home. My high school yearbook I only had two people sign it. It was two of my favorite teachers. So I, I felt like, I, I think that's probably why I connected with this with this promo because the character Raven was playing was a lot was similar to what I uh, I had in high school. Yeah, and I think in 1997, there were a lot of people who felt like that, and that's why, you know, you, when you looked out to those crowds and you saw the black band t-shirts, you know, that was, that was a big, uh, you know, sentiment in society and, and in American culture. Um, I, I don't dislike it because I don't 
think that it's a thing that people have. I just like it because it comes across fake. Understandable. So, yeah. well, that's I, me. I can see where you're coming from on how on how he delivered his lines in this promo. Yeah, I just think he comes off as like a goth kid, and I just don't think it it holds up very well twenty years later. Fair enough. That's just me, but I but I do get if like people are like, oh my god, this is the greatest promo ever. What are you saying about it? I get that. Well, it just hit for me. Yeah, you know, greatest promos ever. Probably not. You know, I you know I, well, I felt like you know, to me, just watching this promo when I did the day when I watched it, it connected me a lot. If I would watch this promo again in five years I'm, i'll probably have a different taste on it yeah who knows i don't know it just the raven character never really hit with me and when people love it that's cool i get it that's just not my style of wrestling character well, yeah you talked about the raven character do you f- feel like if he was ever given the chance to be a main eventer in wcw or wwf do you think that he would have had the same connection like that he did in ecw I think he might have, but not in the – well, I, okay, let me rephrase. I think he might have because I think Raven, the performer, is good, and I think he could have taken any character and done a good job with it. I don't think that, like, the Raven character with the stories that Paul Heyman had for him could really resonate with – a big audience, but uh, uh, I think a, certainly the guy could have. So he would have had to adapt and change his character for the national and global scene, right? And I think he could have. I think, and I think well, even when we see in two thousand four with this match that's coming up, I think we see that he did. Yeah, that he could uh, change it up when he needs to, right? When the time uh-huh. is right. Yeah. So we might as well get into this match. It's right. Raven take on. It's me, it's me, it's DDP from TNA Turning Point 2004. Yes. So this match, just like it, well, yeah, this, well, the clip opens up with the video package building up the match. Just talked about how DDP showed up and wanted to prove Raven wrong that Raven claims he made DDP. Oh, that's what it was. He made. D- he was saying he made DDP. That's why I got. Because for me, I got like no reasoning why DDP hated Raven. I like I was, I was trying to figure it out, and I'm like, why is DDP targeting Raven here? I get nothing from this. I was completely confused. Oh, but if you say if you say that was part of the promo, now I get it. That, that's what I, that's why I got out of the video video package. Huh. So. I guess I didn't hear that part, and that would make a lot more difference to me because it seems like he came out of the crowd and he attacked Raven, and that's where this fruit came from. <laughs> so this match or the, uh, for this match, the commentators are Mike today, Eric Watts, and Don West. Yeah, I don't get why in 2004, Jeff Jarrett, other than seeing that Eric Watts is his friend, thought that Eric Watts should have any role on a national scene. Yeah. Eric Watts had no role, no reason to have a role on a national scene in 1994, let alone 2004. He sucked in 1994. He sucks in 2004. He'll suck in 3004. There should be no reason why he should be on television. Yeah, that I, I was wondering why 
yeah, we got Eric Watts and all that. Other than, I guess, with my WWE rose-colored glasses on, him being a big buff guy, but I know Jeff Jarrett doesn't look necessarily always look at that. I think he looks at who's his buddies. Fair Why do you think down. Don and Ron Harris keep getting put on TV? <laughs> True, yeah. So, you know, during the start of the match, we hear that Matchman was supposed to be in the main event of Turning Point 2004, but he got kidnapped before the show somehow, sometime, whatever. Yeah, something like that. Matchman got kidnapped. Okay, whatever. I'm sorry, Macho Man. And what uh, actually happened is he thought he saw Hulk Hogan or something backstage, so he didn't want to show up. That's he left. Why. That's why? Yeah. <laughs> because he's, cause he obviously has the long-standing grudge, be a man Hogan, with he's him. Scared. So he he thought that Hogan was in Jared and the other's ear. So he didn't show up. He was he showed up at the or is I don't know. I'm I could be one off, but at one pay-per-view, he comes in at the very end. He's wearing a trench coat. Supposedly, he has some type of weapon under the trench coat, like legit, because he so, was so paranoid in 2004. He comes in late in the match, hits one move, and then like leaves, and he's never seen again. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if that is this pay-per-view or if it's... Uh, the one prior to this, but yeah, I think that's you, good old Macho Man in TNA. Do you know why Macho was so paranoid of Hogan even in 2004? Because he he felt that Hulk Hogan had been undercutting him forever, and uh, he thought that wherever Hogan was, if he was in the same place, that uh, he'd be doing that. Okay. You know, so he he didn't like him, and he thought that he was always um, working behind his back and stuff. So that's why. And do you know? I know Hogan claims nowadays since Macho passed and Macho got put in the Hall of Fame recently, WWE Hall of Fame. Do you actually believe Hogan started the story that Hogan and Macho made amends before Macho passed away? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I guess. Okay. Well, I guess just knowing that Hogan's stories aren't always correct. Most of the time aren't always correct, and knowing how paranoid Macho was from ever since him and Elizabeth got divorced, um, yeah, I just got divorced. I didn't feel like, okay, well, I just feel like ever since Hogan supposedly got Macho and Elizabeth divorced, Macho never really liked him. But I guess that's us going too much off topic on talking about Macho Man getting kidnapped or whatever during the show. So. Yeah, I just I don't really know if the Macho Man kidnapping storyline again. It was like a three second yeah. thing in this. But, but anyway, I know you're into the commentary, and I know that's the most important thing. Yeah, but. so I'll kick it to you for the start of the match. Yeah, so first I thought you know DDP here in '04. It's I don't know how long had he been had it been since his WWF run had ended. What's that? Do you, do you recall how long had it been oh, since his D- WWF? DDP. I know yeah. DDP was at House Rustman in 18, so that will be 2002, I think. Okay. DDP's run had to end, must have ended shortly after that, because I don't remember DDP ever being on a pay-per-view, WWE pay-per-view much after that. So I know he okay. was a European champion at 
WrestleMania 18, and I think he lost the title shortly after that, and I don't remember him being around after that. Okay, because he was looking really good here, like, body-wise, and uh, just in in really good shape, moving around the ring really well. So I, I thought uh, oh, he, he looked, he looked good, really yeah. good. So did Raven. Yeah, wanted to ask you, Bo, uh, I really don't know much about Raven in TNA other than I know he was in TNA, was NWA champion a few times, at least if not once. Why yep. was Raven wrestling in a skirt back then? That was just his, you know, that was, he tra- transitioned to the kilt uh, toward the end of his WWE run, Okay, I want to say. And, and then, he, yeah, he just rocked that. Yeah, he was a, a it, actually the Raven storyline with him and the uh, NWA title was, was a really cool one that lasted, I want to say, about two years in total. And he would get close, and then he would, you know, get, kind of deterred get kind of turned away and it's too bad that he finally achieved gaining the the nwa title um when they were off tv in the summer of 05 uh if you recall they had those uh, they had a couple months where they were um on the internet only which again in 05 that's not uh, a super wide uh, distribution so but yeah that was that was a storyline that took place uh for a good couple of years here and this is in the midst of it um where he's getting kind of turned away from that i thought raven's even kind of intro attire looked super weird he's wearing like a leather poncho and then he's got like these like necklaces with like these big silver medallions on them <laughs> like very very strange and then I thought DDP was funny. He his theme song is a knockoff of his WCW theme <laughs> song, which was a knockoff of Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> Maybe which I guess I, yes, I was like, yep, we're just keeping it going, keeping it going. <laughs> At what point will it just not sound anything like Smells Like Teen Spirit? Yeah. <laughs> well talk well kind of thinking about it. I know this was right around the time TNA had the two different entrance stages. One for the villains, one yeah. for the heroes. What's your thoughts, uh, uh, quick thoughts on teenage having that two different separate entrance stages? I think that can be fun. Yeah, I think that can be fun, and it's a, you know it's been a thing in in many different promotions. I guess this is probably the last time that it was done, and I think it can be a cool a cool deal when you have them coming out of different spots. Yeah, I felt like it was cool and gave teenage a different vibe in 2004 era. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, like, in 2004, when they transitioned to the Impact Zone, they did have a different look from from WWE, and that was cool. The only thing is, they didn't change it for nearly 10 years, and yeah. by the end by the end of it, it became very stale. But at, it, at the beginning of the Impact Zone, it looked legit, and uh, it was cool. Yeah, what was, uh, just in general, you gave your impact zone thoughts. What's your thoughts on the six sided ring in general? I I guess I liked it in, in this match. I can tell that both Raven and DDP was. I think more DDP wasn't used to the six sided ring with you know throwing Raven into the ropes or the turnbuckle or whatnot. Uh, sure, I, he did kind of struggle with it. You're right. I know. At, when, I think yeah, right on this time is when they were on. Fox Sports Net North or whatever, and yeah, I, I think I think at least for why well, yeah, I lived, grew up in Cambridge, and it was always 
on Friday afternoons about, I think, 3 o'clock. So I always set my VCR to tape and always raced home from high school to if I didn't work I Friday. Wanted, Friday. I want to say that's where it was everywhere. Was that was Friday at Friday at three or four? Okay, depending on where you were in the United States. Yeah, for me it was well, Friday right. at three, and if I had to work after high school on a Friday afternoon, I hope to race home and try to catch as much of much of the show as I can, then rewind my tape and catch the first part of the show what I what I missed. So I I felt like during that they're on Fox Sports North or whatever. I really enjoyed them because they felt with the time limits and all that they really felt different from WWE, yeah. which set them apart from them at that time. Yeah, and I mean, like, story of TNA, right? Like, they're, they start with something that's different, and over time, they inch closer and closer and closer to just being a lighter version of WWE. Oh. We're even seeing it here, right? Like, Raven, use, using Raven, I think, is going out of the box because the most... WWF ever used him was um, hardcore champion heat commentator, right? So using him out of the box. But here we go using the Macho Man, using the Kings of Wrestling who are the outsiders, um, doing doing this kind of stuff that's just the same guys in the same roles doing away with the things like the time limits and the judges and, and things of that nature just to be a lighter version of, of WWF, which is just too bad. Yeah. So I, you know, going back with, you know, TNA being on Fox Sports North, I really enjoyed them having even the time limit, you know, scroll up on the top of the screen, you know, that we can see the clock counting down on mm-hmm. how much time the wrestlers have in the match and all that. I, really enjoyed that that you know i've mentioned before on this podcast i enjoyed having time limits for matches to make it seem like why the match is that much more important and why the guys are racing each other on trying to pit each other with moves to win the match right and i mean sometimes they'll call they'll say time limits but it was nice seeing it that's cool so yeah so it starts off really hot and and I, it was better than I had expected, so I was kind of intrigued at, no, at the beginning here. Because and that, uh, because that I'm opening up my mail yolks. I feel like this was probably the better match of the this set. Sure, it's definitely up there. So I, my first comment about freaking Eric Watts is that he calls out the fact that he was the 1992 Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Re- of the year, and I vomited. Who cares? Especially it being 12 years later. And what have you done in the last 12 years to build off that pro that pro Wrestling Illustrated Rookie of the Year award? Absolutely that would be nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, oh my god, if somebody piped that into his ear, they are an idiot. <laughs> if he thought of it himself, he is an idiot. It just sounded awful. Awful. So, um, Paige hit, just randomly hit a big boot to the ref, <laughs> just like, but it looked really cool. Uh, and of course, eh, who cares? <laughs> Whatever. Um, th- so they go, oh, sorry, sorry. I just think that that's the excuse for them to, br- to brawl all over the impact zone. Right. But then there are like five more refs come out like right after yeah. and who cares? No, no, nothing. Uh, Paige, Randomly got a crutch 
and he hit Raven with it. He hit a, a, a garbage can shot, and then they went right back to the ring. Eh, whatever. <laughs> then Raven found a Roman Centurion helmet under the ring and hit DDP with it. I was going to ask about that. that so I think what I got from the commentators or the video package or something that Raven was coming out, you know, most of the time wearing that helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what the heck Raven? Who do you think you are? It's not as weird as when he wore the bird cage on his head later. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I know he was weird and all, but didn't know he was that weird. Yep. When I, I can't remember what the name of his group was, but he had, it was like him and Johnny divine and Frankie Kazarian, and they all had, like dumb names, and Raven wore a birdcage on his head. So <laughs> I know, right? Um, Raven hit a hit a knee charge into DDP. He set up the chair for the drop toll, and actually, I was like, they'll never do it, and he did. He drop told DDP into the chair for a two count, right. and they're just clicking on all cylinders. They're really at a breakneck. Yeah, because I felt like the. <laughs> Drop told in the chair, the chair, you know, in a seated position. That would, obviously, you know, DDP put his hands up to kind of block, you know, block his fall. But that would hurt too. Even you know, putting your hands and arms up to kind of you know take the fall, that would hurt. Well, that was one. That was a move that Raven used in WCW to put people on the shelf for months, and he did it to Scotty Riggs with it in a laid out position and it supposedly uh took Riggs eye out or, or something. I, I that was gonna, the like storyline there. I was just gonna ask, is that why Riggs came back with the eye patch? Correct, yes. Yep. Um let's see here. I, well, I know a little bit before DDP tried to hit a diamond cutter on a Raven and Raven countered by grabbing the ropes. I really enjoy seeing Rustlers counter the cutter or the RKO like that you know act like they're gonna go down with it, but the only way to counter is holding on to the ropes. Sure, yeah, no, that's a that's a cool cool thing. Uh, yeah, DDP fought back with some shots, another big boot. He's really working the big boot in his offense, which is really interesting. Um, he tries a, a backslide, but uh, Raven hit a nut shot on him. <laughs> They both tried some roll-ups, which uh, was interesting. It was interesting that they both did it. Um, Raven did a bulldog, which I wrote that we didn't – we really don't see that very much anymore. And uh, I think bulldogs can look good. I think it could be something that could really be brought back by someone. Yeah. I think like well, like we talked about with the DDT, I think the bulldog, you know, like I so said, depending on who delivers it and how they deliver it can – be a good a good addition to a match. Sure. I would agree with you. Um, another one that you don't really see very often from at least these guys, Raven hit a super kick that looked really good. And right after that, DDP hit his diamond cutter, but Raven was able to kick out. And here's where the match just kind of falls down the toilet. Yeah. We get two robed figures and here, you know, you're the little thing guy, but I like little things too. If you're going to be a robed figure, can you please not wear either your cargo shorts or your jeans underneath it? 
Because you really look like you don't give a shit. Yeah. Please, please get some black pants or something. The, when DDP finally knocks these guys out, the ones wearing cargo shorts and white sneakers and the other ones wearing mom jeans and white sneakers, they really look like idiots. Yeah, because that's one thing I really didn't like is that you know, once DDP laid them out, you know, yeah, we see you know their shorts or pants or <laughs> what they're wearing. Yeah, just at least color scheme things at least. Yeah, I I just think like that like that's a little thing that's like, come on. I don't know. I don't know. Or like find somebody with some like just black tights that you can wear underneath yeah. it. I, you know, there's gotta be people with just like random black tights in the back. So and I, don't I know. feel like it when the the hooded dudes came out, I felt like I don't know if Vince Russo was right for Teeny at this time, but I felt like we're gonna oh I'm not sure. I feel like we're about to get a swerve of a finish. Well, see, I, I said that in a little bit here. Cause, so Raven hit the DDT for two while they were out there for distraction. And then, yes, Eric Watts leaves the commentary. I've never watched this match before. And in my notes, I write, Eric Watts gets in the ring, and I think I see a swerve coming. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, I don't know. I just like, why is he in the ring, right? So... Um, he clotheslines and he choke slams the the two hooded guys, and uh, then I wrote, "Yep, Eric Watts clotheslines DDP. Why? Eh, who cares? I don't freaking know. And neither does Eric Watts, because then they just like show him and he's just like huffing and puffing over in the corner. And yeah, he's blown uh, up already. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just gah. I wrote, "This is grade A bull right now. This is just shit." It's, oh God, Eric Watts is so bad. Uh, but DDP is able to diamond cutter him, and that made me happy. Uh, and then Raven went for the DDT, but DDP was able to get out, hit the diamond cutter, and get the three yeah. and escape into the crowd. Out of, yeah, the cutter out of nowhere, which we both you know, said with the Great American Bash of the Beach tour and. Talking about Orton, that's the best way to hit the cutter was, yeah, out of nowhere. So, yep. DDP is the winner already of this match. Mr. Beverly Hills, three stars. I also went three stars. I felt like the, because I felt like yeah, the swerve just for a swerve hurted, hurt the match for me too right at the end. Yep. But other than that, I feel like DDP and Raven are, you know, two guys that can tell a great story even in 2004 at their Elder State, you know, states. Uh, those two put, you know, on great matches in WCW was like five, six years prior, and all that. And I thought they yeah, had a great match here on TNA Turning Point in 2004. Right on, yeah, ten, ten years, seven years after their series uh, came back and and had, you know, a really well done match here. Uh, kind of wrecked by the. Eric Watts' involvement, but overall still pretty darn good. So the next letter in the alphabet is a letter S, as <laughs> in, ha, 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 nasty size, Jerry Sags. Yes, we're the boys. We're the boys. <laughs> That's all you need to know. And we're so what, the what's your first thoughts on Jerry Sags? The nasty boys just... I don't know. <laughs> They've never been good. Yeah, it's just crap for twenty five years. <laughs> they have a couple shining matches, but God, overall they're just garbage. I don't know. What's your thoughts? I guess you know besides the nasty boys, the yeah, the ish 
the ishy ishy pity city. <laughs> you know, probably Jerry Sags highlight of his career is when I saw him a couple years on Man vs. Food eating <laughs> some chicken wings, some really hot chicken wings in Tampa. That's probably the best thing he's ever done. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so the promo that we get for this match is the Nasty Boys with Jimmy Hart putting over the match that they have between Macho Man Randy Savage, the WWF champion, and the Ultimate Warrior the match that they're going to have would be the day before uh, SummerSlam in 1992. Yes, and the day before SummerSlam in 1992, they are somehow Jimmy finagled this or something. And, yeah, they're facing off against uh, the, the two guys who are going to be in the title match, which will be Warrior and Savage. Which, which we talked about this off air before we started to record. We both enjoyed how they called Macho Man Macho Man, but they called the Warrior the ultimate loser. Yeah, the ultimate loser. It's like they couldn't think of a good Macho Man dig, so they're like, oh, well, let's just call him the ultimate loser, and then we'll just go from there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of nasty sizing, a lot of laughing. That's all you pretty much need to know about this problem. And at the end, Mr. Perfect came down to give them some pointers about Macho and the Warrior. What, who, oh, yeah, Mr. Perfect, right? Yeah, he comes perfect. at the end. I wrote, Mr. Perfect's here to save the promo. Because yeah. <laughs> he comes in at the end and he, like, quiets down these hyenas that are in the background <laughs> and <laughs> wants to cool it. Yeah, because I felt like well, this promo was, like, 90, 93 seconds long or something like that. And, like I said, comparing it to the Raven promo, this 90 seconds of Nasty Boys felt... Longer than the six minutes of Raven. Well, they were so repetitive, right? How can you say nasty size four times in in a minute, right? Like, it was just over a minute. They said nasty size four times, and they probably laughed for 45 seconds. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to sound long because all they did was repeat themselves. So the match that we get is Jerry Sakes taking on Bo Beverly, you got it. Yep. WWF Wrestling Challenge on November twenty second, nineteen ninety two. Okay, cool. Yeah, right before Survivor Series. Yeah, I, I gathered that. <laughs> yep. Then, uh, then yeah, right away, the genius has a poem and all that, and I felt like I didn't take note what the poem was, but all I can remember is that it was a crappier poem. Oh, I said it was a solid poem. <laughs> I guess our our uh, standards for poetry are different. I thought it was a solid poem. I liked it. <laughs> I guess the reason why I didn't like it was because it was like 10 seconds long to read. It was short, yeah. But it was something about nasty boy, or Jerry Takes being nasty and doesn't belong at being in the ring with the genius and Bob Beverly or something like that. Right, it's just something like that. Something like that. Oh, some, well, I guess I took note that uh, where they're allowed, the Nasty Boys aren't. So, okay, whatever. What was it? Sorry, say oh, again. The Beverly Brothers or whatever, and the Genius are allowed in places where the Nasty Boys aren't. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. This is yeah, being allowed. That was funny. That was funny. It was, I guess so, now looking at it, I do remember getting a good chuckle out of it. It was short and to the point, which. I guess was needed. Well, I mean, he's not going to get a five-minute promo in front of a Jerry Sags-Bull Beverly match. Yeah. 
So, so for those of you who don't know, Bo, Bo Beverly is Wayne Bloom uh, from the Destruction Crew, not Mean Mike Enos. Uh, the, the tall one is Wayne Bloom, the one with the super long mullet. Uh, and he starts out quick here with a, you're just taking it to Sags, but Sags comes back with the lariat. Uh, and then he, he immediately, right after the Larry, goes after the genius and chases him to the back. <laughs> well, I was I was wondering why Sags was so fascinated with the genius. I know, I would agree. It's just like I said, he hits one move and then he goes after the genius. And then, but I love genius is in the back for about five seconds total, <laughs> and, then he's, and then he's out. He's out at the at the ring again. Um, yeah, because yeah, I wrote sweet genius is back. <laughs> Sags hit a big slam um, but Bo Bo hit an axe handle off the top he tries to go back up and hits uh, just one of those that can never actually be hit because he just jumps off and he hits Sags boot Um, I wrote that the crowd sweetener was going nuts at this match because we a lot of people sitting on their hands (laughs) but what you hear is But then when you look, it's just like... Oh, I have to say it. I even noticed that, too, that I took in my notes that Beverly hit a pile driver, then went up top, and Sags, you know, jumped off, and Sags put his foot up to what it right. seemed to be crowd sweetening, and I was thinking, wow, Mr. Beverly Hills would be proud of me that we're finally catching that for once. I am extremely proud of you for catching that. I'm like when I when I took the note about the crowd screener going nuts, I was like, (sighs) and then I'll have to and then you'll give it the match four stars because the crowd was so into it. And I'll have to say, you know, just think. But I'm really happy. I'm really happy that you caught it. You know, think of it since we were talking about the genius who was with Bob Beverly. We were just talking about Jimmy Hart. Earlier for the promo with the Nasty Boys, I have to ask you a question, Mr. Beverly Hills. Okay, ask you a question. Who's a better manager, Jimmy Hart or the Genius Brother? Oh, it's not even close. It's Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Not even close. I just wish Jimmy Hart would read some poetry from his megaphone. (laughs) Oh, man, that'd be some different poetry (laughs) for sure. (laughs) So, Sags... To finish it off, he had a top rope elbow drop, which looked like trash, uh, but you, it was really interesting that he had a top rope elbow drop. You would laugh since you were saying that you really didn't like the Nasty Boys promo that we watched. Oh, they were saying nasty sized a bunch of times. I did yes. take note that the elbow drop, Sags hit, looked pretty nasty. It was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of fell off. He got him to the top rope, and then he just kind of like blah down onto Adam Beverly. Yeah, get, and he, then he got the three count. Yes. So then after the match, the genius was got into the ring and took a trip to Pity City. Yeah, he got him in the Pity City, man. What'd so, you rate this match? Though I rated this match a dud. I went three quarter star. I thought this was not good. Yeah, really at all. I didn't like this at all either, and I guess the only highlight for me for this clip was the genius reading his poem. (laughs) So the next letter letter in the alphabet and the next letter for our series is the letter T as an (laughs) Terry Taylor. 
Yep. What's your thoughts? What's your first thoughts on Terry Taylor? Oh man, what I think about when I think Terry Taylor is just like squandered opportunity because you know we look at him, we get this Houston clip from must be eighty four, I'm assuming, or something like that, and then just a few short years later, he's Red Rooster. Yeah, for and me. he was never really able to recover from that. So go ahead. Yeah, for me, my first thoughts are the Red Rooster. I, I've been watching you know, some, I guess, some older Terry Taylor matches. WWE a few years back put out the Best of Mid Mid South DVD set with like a three disc disc set, and one of the matches was Terry Taylor taking on Ric Flair for the NWA title, and and I watched that match because Jim Ross did commentary over it. To be released, oh, and okay. I can't remember how long the match was, but I remember Terry Taylor saying before the match for the you know pre-taped, <coughs> talking about the match was Ric Flair didn't show up until like I think like minutes before the match hung over, <laughs> and Terry's like Rick, we we had to you should have showed up earlier. We need to talk over this match. Flair's like, ah, whatever. I'll call it in the ring. Just listen to me, and it was pretty great. I was. T- Terry's thought that he was one of his best matches ever, and I, and with that match with Ric Flair, I feel like uh, Terry could have pretty good matches and all that. And like you said, I feel like you know his you know, him in the WWF as Red Rooster was a uh, was crappy was the shats. Yeah, and, and he, even and even as the Taylor Made Man in WCW. I don't know why just people couldn't see what made him good in uh, in Mid-South and, and duplicate and keep wanting to saddle him with these very overt, very cartoony gimmicks, and I, I don't understand why. Oh. So the promo that we get was, it wasn't a, yeah, from the WWF about him being the Red Rooster, and he's uh, climbing himself to the top of the <laughs> WWF. Yep, and he's really trying to get over the name for his fan group. What was the name of his fan group, Mr. Dirty? Rooster Boosters. The Rooster Boosters. Holy crap. Well, I'm surprised Would I you should... buy a shirt that said, I am a Rooster Booster? No, I did <laughs> wrote that in my notes. Rooster Boosters as fans. And right a split second before you asked me about that, while I was taking a sip of my Meliola, I looked at Rooster Boosters. I was thinking, what the hell is that? <laughs> then you asked me that question. <laughs> like, then you asked me that question. I'm like, okay, now I know. Whatever. Crappy game. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it was woof. That was bad. That was bad. So But he uh, did have a cool jacket. Yeah, beautiful. I liked his red rooster uh sequin red and white jacket. It was I, cool. I was sad that back of his jacket doesn't say the red mm-hmm. rooster says. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. I I wish it said rooster boosters on it. So the match we got I was I guess excited for because I've heard a lot about his opponent. This match, oh, right is, this match is from Mid-South Wrestling. Is Terry Taylor taking an exotic Adrian Street with Miss Linda. <laughs> now, it's said on the, on the YouTube thing, Mid-South Wrestling, this is Houston Wrestling, okay. which is kind of an offshoot, um, but really they're kind of their own thing. Um, and we got Paul Bosch on commentary here. Uh, he's the promoter, and uh, 
Yeah, that he go listen to a to a podcast on on Houston wrestling or do some reading on that. But they they were kind of their own thing. Okay. Um, they were affiliated with a lot of different places. They were affiliated with NWA for times. They were affiliated with Mid South for times. They were affiliated with WWF sometimes. Sometimes they were affiliated with all three. Um, but yeah, so that that yeah, this is from Houston. It's at the Sam Houston Coliseum. Okay, I I know some about Adrian Street for some reason. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin had Adrian on his podcast within the last year. I feel like you would have you be able to explain to the listeners who Adrian Street was better than I could. So Adrian Street is a British wrestler, and uh, he's working an effeminate gimmick here, um, but he he's different in that. He he doesn't go like the Adrian Donis route or like the um, Goldust, oh the Rico route, and he isn't like prissy when he's wrestling too. He wrestles really hard, just like between moves he's doing, like the butt rubbing and the yeah. hair hair teasing and and things like that. I feel like you know, as with this match against Terry Taylor, I feel like he does that to try to get in the minds of the referee of his opponent to try to psych them out and throw them off their game for the match. Right, and that's yeah, and that's kind of his gimmick, yeah. Yep, that's his deal. And he was and he wrestled he was a true journeyman. Um wrestled really all around the country, never stopping uh one place for very long. Okay, then do you know much about his manager, Miss Linda? It's his wife. Yeah, I well I know that, but just <laughs> Didn't know if she had No, much. like legit. Yeah. Yeah, like it really is. And I think that they might even still be together. Yeah, I think uh, last I heard they were they were still married, but I didn't know if she had any uh, anything I don't know if she's done anything other other than that in the wrestling world being Adrian's manager and wife. No, I just I really think she was just kind of along for the ride. And and she ad- and she adds to the uh, to the gimmick because like in the eighties when we're in the kind of less of a progressive time, you think this guy who's got makeup on, he's got his hair teased, whatever, he's not gonna be with a lady. So it kind of has a wrinkle there that like and, and it's clear they are together. It isn't like they're just buddies or whatever. So it, it adds to the the layers of the Adrian Adonis gimmick. Yeah, totally. Um I guess one thing I took note about Adrian and Playing the character that he... Or sorry, Adrian Street. Did I say Adrian Donis? My bad. Well, well. anyway, uh, Adrian, one thing I really pre- pre- uh, laughed at was when Adrian grabbed the referee's butt, I swore I heard the fans <laughs> pop for it. and it, Oh, they loved it. This was such a... This gimmick hit all around the country, it, for sure. It fans made, loved it when he would pinch people's butts and stuff. It made me laugh, and it made me laugh even more when the fans pop for it, like... That's awesome. I'd never expected the fans to to go wild for it. Yeah, man, they loved it. They <laughs> all around the country, he would get just uh, hate and pops for for this kind of crazy stuff. But um, yeah, he tried to <laughs> he tried to kiss the ref, <laughs> and then when he was gonna like lock up with Terry Taylor instead of locking up with him, he did a pelvic thrust at him, which <laughs> made me that had me popping. I was like, oh. 
<laughs> and then he turns around and he pitches it off spot. Oh! <laughs> I loved it. Oh, man. He was hilarious. He was hilarious. <laughs> so, did you know, sir, if you get uh, a pre-sale ticket for the for the December 27th show at the Sam Houston Coliseum, you get a rock and roll poster. A free rock and roll a free poster rock indeed. and roll poster uh, oh I, my god i took note of both that well yeah i know you much the announcer that i he plugged purchasing the, these tickets multiple times during this match and you get a free rock and roll poster doesn't doesn't describe the poster at all super vague about it i'm assuming it's rock and roll express which is hilarious that he just keeps calling it a rock and roll poster and to me it's like super vague. Like I'm sorry, buddy, but you're not selling these tickets to me. 1919 no. Carroll Street. Whatever. <laughs> That's where you go to get it. No, like here's the here's the thing. Like it annoyed me, but it shows you how wrestling television has evolved in the yeah. last 30 years. The reason for this show was to get people to go to 1919 Carroll Street and get a ticket. Yeah. That's why it's on TV. And we don't do that. You know, wrestling is, wrestling television is no longer used to get people to go to the ticket office. Uh, it is used to sell the pay-per-view or the network. sell network subscriptions. Yeah, but he's the promoter. He knows what he's got to do. And what he's got to do is get people to 1919 Carroll street for that free rock and roll poster. Yeah. I just, like you said, I just got tired of it. And I guess, like you said, before, oh my God, before with, man. like you said before with other shows and matches we reviewed, it shows that the times of what wrestling was like back then compared to now that, you know, like I said that, you know, wrestling on TV back then was, you know, there to on TV to sell, Sell us to go buy a ticket yeah. for their house show. For that's where they really drew their money. Unlike nowadays, where we have all this technology, we don't need to go to 1919 Street Ave or whatever. <laughs> we can just go to www.shop.com or Amazon.com or eBay or wherever yeah. else to buy whatever we want. Yeah, it's not it's not used to to get people. Well, and it's such a, a global product now. Yeah. Whereas, like. You know, me me watching it, and he says 1919 Carroll Street, I have no freaking clue. In 1994, if I get that TV show, I know exactly where the Sam Houston Coliseum, I know exactly where the Houston Wrestling Office is. I can go there and get a ticket and my free rock and roll poster. So it's it's a lot different. You know, but to the, to the match here, so a lot of kind of locks and, uh, you know, moves like that. Uh, Street had a nerve hold. About like four or five minutes in, we get informed that this is a loser leaves town match, which I found interesting. It's like, oh, oh, wow, okay, yeah, here we are, loser leaves town, got it. <laughs> yeah, which I was surprised too. Like, okay, I didn't know, unless we didn't get into this clip. Like, yeah, the ring announcer didn't even mention that or anything. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so that was a little wacky. Um, so the, the real story of the match was. Street would be was doing a ton of cheating while doing other moves. Uh, he's doing hair pulling while working arm lock. He's uh, 
you know, doing another one. Miss Linda is behind him pulling hair, um, doing a lot of that kind of kind of stuff. Uh, well, cause yeah. Like, like I mentioned but, before with Adrian, you know, pinching the referee's butt, it's like the fans pop for Miss Linda distracting Terry Taylor in the match, which made me laugh. Well, I don't think they were popping. I, I could have been wrong I don't think, that, too. I don't think they were popping positively. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just because they're getting louder, I, it doesn't mean that they're enjoying it. I'm you know? sorry. Oh. <laughs> I mean, fans get loud. <laughs> like, just because I'm getting loud, if I'm like, you're an idiot, it doesn't mean that, like, oh, he got loud, he loves it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know? guess Mr. Beverly Hills loves me being an idiot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, just because they're like, you know, just because yeah. you don't hear boo doesn't mean that it's positive yeah I well I just, I just noted that it's the fans got finding the fans got louder when this linda distracted terry taylor right that's so. more like it. so um yeah street had a really nice looking european uppercut at one point um taylor's able to fight back against all this cheating and distraction and with some big punches and a 10 punch in the corner and the crowd did legitimately I love that. And uh, then he finishes it up with kind of a flying uh, forearm. Forearm? Yeah, yeah, flying forearm, right. Oh, th- that later he would call eight arm. Because it's, it's twice as devastating as a forearm. Yes. <laughs> that was his name. That was the name for his finisher. Flying eight arm. No, he just called it the eight arm. Because it's twice as devastating as a forearm. <laughs> what's what's more <laughs> devastating, the the eight arm or the flying burrito? Ooh, well, I don't know. I don't know. A bur- <laughs> would twice as bad as a forearm be more than a burrito that's flying through the air? I don't know, my man. That that'd be up to you. <laughs> so the winner of the match is Terry Taylor. I ready this match a dud. Oh, I went two and a quarter. I liked it. I, I mean, it wasn't the best match of all time, but it was cool. Yeah, I, you know, besides some, you know, how Adrian Street was interacting with the crowd, other than that, I can't really connect to the wrestlers when they're wrestling one another. Okay, fair enough. Well, and if, you know, if you're looking for an announcer to help you get into the match, he was not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and again, we talked about that's not his goal, but he definitely wasn't doing it. So. Yeah, and like you said, that this that wasn't the, the time to really get over the TV project. It was a time to get the fans to buy the tickets for the house show because that's where they made the money, not off of TV. Yep, two days after Christmas. So, for the free main, rock and roll poster for the main event of the podcast, Mister Beverly Hills. Yeah, is the letter U, as in you. Ooh, manga. <laughs> yeah, man. What's your first thoughts on ooh, manga? Uh, a real throwback. Uh, he did it perfectly. Uh, I feel like he should have gotten a run with the title. Yeah, uh, I, I told for that for that brief time, man. Because he, man, he was awesome for a little bit. I I really loved you, manga, as well. Uh, really loved it when uh, when William Regal was the Raw General Manager and called him Umanga instead of Umanga. Like you said, like you said, like you said, when he had the run against John Cena for the WWE title, I wished Umanga would have had a chance to run with the title, even like you said, even if it's for a few weeks, even if it's for one pay per view, 
or yeah. for a few months just to see how the ratings go and all that. But yeah, yeah I I loved you manga, especially when he was on Raw before he moved to SmackDown, which is where we had a match for for him. But I really liked you manga at the start, and it's sad that he went away. He passed away when yeah. he did, and WWE let him go when he did because I feel like he was one of the better big men in in the industry. Yeah, he was awesome for a bit. Those and those two two or three matches that he had with Cena on pay per view were definitely Cena's best of that run for yeah. sure, and and probably some for many years after that. And I think that says a lot about U Manga as well. Mm-hmm. So the promo that we get for U Manga was his debut debut from on the Monday Night Raw the night after WrestleMania twenty two in Chicago. Against Ric Flair, yeah, which was really cool. Uh, Flair, Flair was really good at talking about if uh, for his little bit at the beginning. But yeah, you can go for it. Yeah, well, I guess I really, really didn't mention much about what Ric Flair said until Amando came down, and I laughed out loud when Amando's hat fell off his head when he was entering the ring. I guess I might laugh at it too if that was that was me. But uh, I guess some of the things that Umando said that he's like Ric Flair, that he likes nice clothes, nice women, and the money. And Umando mm-hmm. started bringing somebody who's a change to the WWE is to be the new face of Monday Night Raw in WWE, and that's Umanga. Yeah, he was going to introduce him. Flair stopped him, told him that he needed to back off, that he hasn't done anything yet. Uh, but yeah, he eventually introduces Umaga, and Umaga comes and just beats Flair to him. Yeah, and uh, what's your thoughts on the torture rack neckbreaker that, or I guess ways like the reverse F five that Umaga used as his finisher for against Ric Flair? Um, I mean, it looks good here. I can see why he didn't do that a lot and why he switched to the spike. Yeah, you know, because you're not going to be able to do that to a lot of guys. Yeah, because I really. But it's cool when he hit that hit that that yeah that neck breaker torture rack thing that I never remember seeing him use that before. When he went out for that, like, what the heck? Where the heck's the Samoan <laughs> spike and all that? So. Yeah, I think he switched to the spike pretty quickly. Yeah. What was your thoughts on the spike as a finisher? I, I guess I liked it. I guess it to me it reminds me of a lot of when Ming was using the. Uh, Tongue and death grip or whatever. Just, you know, I think the announcers also played it off well. And when he, when Umanga, Umanga hits the spike, he's hitting like a artery or whatever. It hits a nerve that was, which is why it puts you out. So, in the savage character that he was playing, I felt like he, he put it over very well. Yeah, that's another one to me that like it, it started out. I had a hard time believing it because, like, my smart brain couldn't get around it. But it's one of those things that grew on me as, like, a throwback type of thing. And, you know, when you just kind of, like, forget about it for a second and get let yourself get lost in wrestling, you sometimes have more fun. And uh, during this clip, we get Joey Styles as a play-by-play man. Uh, Jerry Lawler is also there. And we also get the third man for the team, Jonathan Coachman. Right. What, what's your thoughts on Joey Styles doing the the few months play by play man on Monday Night Raw? And what's your th- also thoughts on the coach being the third man of of the Raw announced team? 
Uh, it was all right. I, I don't know. They didn't really big a part in this, so. Yeah, I, I know that, but I guess I wanted to mention that because I don't know what else we will talk about it. But I, I guess I wish they would have gave Styles more of a chance when he was a raw play-by-play man to give him more of a chance to get used to it and all that. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one for sure. Kind of give him some more uh, free reign on doing the commentary that he he feels more comfortable with instead of being the storytelling that they forced him to do that wasn't in his wheelhouse. Yeah, but that's their style. Sometimes you have to adapt. Yeah. Uh, If... You know, you came to work and you said, well, I wear flip-flops and I move the best with flip-flops. I don't think they would have you working there very long, right? No, actually, if I (laughs) show up with flip-flops, they would send me home and say, come back when you're wearing shoes. If not, yeah, adios. Exactly. So sometimes you need to adapt, too. You can't walk into a place and say, well, this is what I do, so you better live with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to. You know, you gotta meet in the middle a little bit too. And I guess I bring up I bring up the coach because for the most part, I really like him as a commentator. But I feel like you know when Jim Ross is there and having you know Jim Ross play the good you know the good guy play by play man and coach playing the heel color guy and with Lawler kind of playing playing in between, I felt like the coach can play off Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler fairly well if he is motivated to. Sure. I guess I like the coach from time to time, but not all the time. Cool. So the match we get for Omega was a six-man battle royal at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on WWE SmackDown. The winner will face Trapalite for the WWE title at SummerSlam. The contestants are (laughs) Jeff Harvey... Mike Adelaide joke. Jeff Hardy, NVT, MVP, The Big Show, Ray Kali, Mr. Kennedy, Kennedy, and Omega. Yep. That's our guys. And I guess I want to talk to you about quickly about uh, Mr. Kennedy. What What's your thoughts on WWE and TNA trying to push Mr. Kennedy up into the main event picture? Well, I mean, he's one of those guys that he looks like he should be a star. Uh... He has the tools or whatever, but I don't know. I don't think he's ever really hit. So Yeah, same here. I just feel like he never was able to – I never connected with the fans like I think WWE, especially WWE was hoping for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, uh, then, uh, Jim Ross and Mick Foley are our commentators for the match, and I kind of like those two together. They had an interesting dynamic for sure. Then, uh, they I, they had a dynamic of definitely just like two guys hanging out, which sometimes is good, sometimes not so good. Yeah, and I'll kick it to you for the match. Right on. So, uh, yeah, so we get a lot of the the intros here. Big Show is being super friendly. He's like smiling. He's yeah. hitting people's hands. He's like he's definitely in his BFG stage. Yeah, I wasn't scared roll, of this roll doll joke. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't scared of the smiling Big Show. I don't think you were supposed to be. Fair enough. That's the point. He's a face. He's the BFG. He's the big friendly giant, man. And 
I really like, I guess, you know, I really like when Umanga was running, coming down, he was yelling out gibberish and all that. I really like that. Right, man. man. Something, like, I don't, (laughs) I don't even know what he said, but Foley said something was Obama-esque, <laughs> which was funny. I'm like, huh, okay. Well, I, I uh, remember hearing remember hearing that joke, like, okay, we're watching this on YouTube. I'm not going to keep trying to pause it every, like, 15 times just to write out the line and just to see what he was trying to say, so whatever. I caught that, too, like, right at the end that Foley said it was Obama-esque. I was thinking, okay, Foley, I don't think that went over too well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like, well... Jiraz is like, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> so yeah. He didn't wanna he didn't wanna go down that road, which I'm fine with. And, uh go ahead. Oh, something that made me laugh, uh I think it was Mr. Kennedy that went on all fours doing uh setting up Jeff Hardy to hit the whisper in the wind to the great Collie and Jim Ross pulled a Bill Mercer and said, A drop kick to the great Collie. And what actually was it? A whisper in the wind. Oh, okay. Wait, was, you know what? Collie mean... was in the corner, and, and Mr. Kennedy jumped on all fours right in front of him, and Jeff Hardy ran across the ring and jumped off of Mr. Kennedy and kind of threw his body. That's not the whisper in the wind. It's not? That's the poetry in motion. My bad. I guess I pull the Bill Mercer. It's a poetry in motion. My, I, sorry, Jim Ross. I called you out for being a poet Bill Mercer. I just did a Bill Mercer there, too. Jim Ross... I guess I have your saucy attitude as well. My apologies. That's like the twisting senton <laughs> thing. Um, okay, so... Right. Uh, so MVP's the first one knocked out. Hardy clotheslines him over. Um, Umaga almost took Hardy over the top, but he's able to skin the cat and get back in. Um, Umaga and Big Show square off with Big Show throwing out Umaga. Um, yeah, right on, right on. I was like, oh, disappointing. The guy we chose is gone halfway through. Uh, Big Show does the Cobra Clutch throw to Hardy, uh, and then he tosses Kennedy. Uh, he choke slams the co- the the Kali. He choke slams Great Kali here. Um, randomly, Umaga's back, and he spikes Big Show, but really, like, to no effect, and I was a little disappointed at yeah, that one. Yeah, same here, yeah. Well, because when it was just... Jeff Hardy there with the big show and a great colleague. I was wondering, how can somebody the size of Jeff Hardy eliminate guys the size of the big show and the great colleague? But then again, that's me uh, using my ph- philosophical logic there and not turning that off for pro wrestling. No, that's the story they want you to tell. Jim Ross was saying. He was saying that. He's like, how could you? I think he said those exact words. I think he said, how could Jeff Hardy eliminate Big Show and Khalid? That's what they're trying to. But, by God, Beverly Hills. I'm sorry I turned off the dirty dog in my commentary, Beverly Hills. By God. <laughs> so, so Hardy on the top was able to eliminate Big Show. Um, yeah, and that's. <laughs> That's what they're trying to tell, that he was able to get the big straw. Now, how can he get Kali out? Um, he's able to knock him down, and he hits a swanton onto him, um, but isn't able to to get him out, and, and Kali grabs the Kali vice, <laughs> but yeah. but Hardy's able to low blow him and get out of that. Uh, and then we get another <laughs> Kali chop, which I love. 
and he throws them out. Kind of unceremoniously, just kind of like throws them out. Yeah. It's over. Talk about the Kali Chapa. I feel like that's way it was a lot like the Samoan Spike with Uminga. That it's depending on who he's who's using it, it could be go. It could be a very effective finisher. And I feel like Kali did it pretty well because I guess that's really one of only mo- few moves Kali could do. Yeah. Right, yeah, but Kali doesn't have a lot going for him here, but... <laughs> yeah, so then after the match, Trapalich came down and, and all that and, you know, walked around the rings very, very slowly, eyeing up the great Kali, and for some reason I put down, Jim Ross said, wow, or they they weren't talking for a while, then Jim Ross just said, wow, like, wow at what? Jim Ross, Triple H is scoping out the Great Kali. Just at, just at the the face off between these two mega powers, and which made me laugh that Triple H, you know, got the ring and went face to, I guess, face to chest to the Great Kali <laughs> and all that. Right on. Made me laugh, and and I hope their match would be better than the Triple H got standard match for the World Heavyweight Title. Uh, it is not though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I guess another line from Jim Ross that made me laugh was when Triple H was walking around the ring. I think it was right on. He was in front, right in front of the hard camera. When he was eyeing up, great colleague Jim Ross said something along the lines of, "No matter at what angle, I guess that's not really my Jim Ross impersonation. No matter, no matter. Just well, man. <laughs> yeah, Jim Ross was first saying that no matter at what angle Triple H looks at the great colleague, the great colleague will always be seven foot to four hundred pounds, like." No duh, Jim Ross. Thank you for being Captain Obvious there. Right on. I think that's what he's saying. He's he's trying to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we might as well wrap, you know, take a quick break for the for the podcast. We'll be right back after this quick break here on Main Event Status Radio. Sandman, for all the trauma and misery I've caused you, I know you want to tear me apart. I know you want to rip me open. But beware. There are things inside me without remorse, without compassion. Things that are dead. Things that can hurt you. Things that can scar you. For now and forever. High school must have seemed like forever for you, Stevie Richards. I know it did for me. Being a misfit, being shunned. I know kids like you, Stevie. No friends, no family, no nothing. Nothing except the constant and gnawing agony of the realization that no one likes you. How does it feel to be voted most unpopular? To not be invited to parties? I know what that feels like, Stevie Richards. But I'm not worried about you. Because, Stevie Richards, I never needed anyone to take me out of that mess. You needed me. All I had was my physical and mental powers and the lack of remorse to use both. No, Stevie Richards, you won't be a factor. You won't make it through the three-way dance. You'll never get a shot at me. So I'm going to go on to Terry Funk. 
Wrestling is a sport for young, virile men, not sickly old fools. You see, there's a parable about a man walking in the desert and God says to him, I'll always be by your side. I will always be by your side. And as the man walks through the desert and gets weaker and weaker and finally, when he thinks he's at his lowest point, he notices that there's only one set of footprints, not two. And with whatever intestinal fortitude, whatever heart, whatever he has that he can muster, he makes it through that desert. And when he gets there, he says, God, God, why did you desert me? You promised me you'd always be with me. And God says, when there was only one set of footprints, that was me carrying you. Well, on April 13th, Terry Funk, God will not be in the ring. I will be the one carrying you, Terry Funk. I will enable you to make it through the match. I will enable you to be in one of the greatest matches in recorded history. I will enable you to almost taste victory before I take that away from you, Terry Funk. Before I take that away from you. At some point in the match, you're going to realize this yourself. You'll realize that you can't beat me, that you can't defeat me, and that all it is is me tormenting you, torturing you, humiliating you. And at some point, as you lay there beaten, battered, bruised, and bleeding, and praying for divine intervention to end your miserable life, to give you an honorable death in combat. I will carry you, Terry Funk. I will carry you to the end of the match in the ugly, bitter pill of defeat. And I'll look in your eyes then, Terry Funk, and I'll see the eyes of a broken man. And that's when I'll see the eyes of my father. I'll see every hope, dream, an aspiration he ever had come crumbling down around him, which led to every beating I ever took. And his last hope, his last dream, was that I would be a failure like him. So Terry Funk, when I end your quest for the Holy Grail, when I nullify everything you've ever done by defeating you in that ring. I hurt my father. <laughs> when I end your triumphant comeback, I hurt my father. When I deprive the fans of the majesty of seeing their legends reign, I again, I hurt my father. And as I forced Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon to admit to themselves, as well as the world that I am the single greatest wrestler on the planet. I hurt my father. You see, I never knew the rules. Hung down with the freaks and ghouls. And I feel down home in the land of a thousand guilt. And I don't even care, as restless as I am. And I don't even know 
just where my bones will rest to dust I guess forgotten and absorbed to the earth below the world title heats the urgency around can't you see besides Raven there's no one else around quote my father's son nevermore I'm here on the Dirty Dogs Diamonds here on Many Events Status Radio. You guys always hear me talk about my trucks, 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 trucks. And here is, is Dusty Hills to talk about my trucks. Oh, Dog Diamonds, baby. You know, they always telling me, oh, Dusty Hills, are we, how many people, are, are there anybody there when you're talking with uh, Dog Diamonds? Oh, we got must have 20,000 people behind this camera, daddy Oh, They're talking about Jeeps. They're talking about trucks. They're talking about cars. You know, if you in the Florida Panhandle, baby, you got to come down to Dog Stamets' uh, car emporium. Tell them that Dusty Hill sent your brother. Caution. You are about to enter the no-spin zone. The factor begins right now. Why did I jump Mad Morgan? Why the sunrise? Why does the moon go down at night? Okay, how'd the moon get there? How'd the moon get there? How'd the moon get there? How'd the sun get there? How'd it get there? Can you explain that to me? Quit lying to me, man. They shot his Dean out in the moon. What does that mean? I don't need a reason. I don't know what that means. Fine, what do you mean he's looking for me? Look, look, stop the BS here. Stop the crap. I'll boot you right off the set. Beat your ass, son of a bitch. Cut his mic. Screw him. Shut up. Get out of here. Shut up. Get out of here. Come on, you coward. You're a dead man. Fucking thing sucks. And that is the end of this interview. Fuck it. No matter what angle the game looks at the great Kali, Kali will always be 7 feet 2 and 420 pounds. Man Randy Savage, like Mr. Perfect knows him. And in your big matchup tonight, I'm going to give you guys a few secrets about those two guys. Let's hear it.
All right, we're back to finish it up here uh, on the track from Q to U in our YouTube series. Uh, let's start off with your jobber. Go for it, dude. My jobber has to be the guy who was kidnapped in TNA wrestling, the macho man Randy Savage. Because, yeah, I don't know who else can be kidnapped in TNA other than the Macho Man. So, Macho Man, don't be a screwed. I guess Hulk Hogan kidnapped you. Wow. Bad rap, I know, son. What no, I just, man, I'm trying to think of another person who wasn't on at all and had no bearing on the matches that we watched to be the jobber. Okay, job okay. to pick somebody else who actually was in there, or was on a clip or whatever else, to be a jobber. Let's see, quickly going through my notes, I would have to say, um, Jerry Seggs. Why not? All right, sure. Because his his elbow drop looked nasty, and his 90-second promo with, you know, in the Nasty Boys was just plain nasty. (laughs) Mine is definitely Eric Watts, yeah. who did have bearing on the match, just in a bad way. Uh, he looked like crap. He was wearing a weird velvety blue shirt. Um, just just bad from beginning to end. My main event set of star has to be Raven, because I loved his promo a lot. Uh, it's probably not one of my favorite promos, but at the time I watched it, it connected with me. And yeah. uh, captured my attention. And I felt like his match with DDP was really good, even in 2004 when both guys were at the tail end of their careers. Yeah, it was, it was probably is definitely the best match for this part of the series. Cool. My main eventer. Huh. I think my main eventer not doing. Not not using Raven here. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Adrian Street. I think he looked really good in that in that match. So yeah, I'm gonna go with him. I feel, yeah, I feel like he like we talked about you know during his match against Terry Taylor. I feel like he played his character off pretty good in the few minutes that we saw of him. Yeah, we could easily tell what kind of character that he that he is, and he sold his character very well. Yeah, right on. He definitely knows his character inside and out for sure. So we will also so. get into the plugs for the podcast. You guys can listen to us on th- on three different platforms. One at minivenstatus dot com. That's minivenstatus dot com. You guys can check us out on SoundCloud. Either search us out in the SoundCloud feed or go to our URL over at SoundCloud. SoundCloud dot com slash Radio. That's all yes, one sir. word. SoundCloud.com slash Mid-Event Status Radio. And once it's on SoundCloud, it goes to the third way that you, Mr. Beverly Hills, <laughs> listens to. And what way do you listen to us? Right now, I always listen through the, my podcast feed on my iPad, which is hooked up to iTunes. iTunes is my des- designated way. So please subscribe, uh, rate us, comment on it. Please do that. Um, yeah, help us rise up the ranks. Yeah, tell your friends. We want this is a grassroots podcast. We need your, you guys <laughs> to help us spread the word, spread the love. Tell your friends to jump on the minivan status train. And we choo choo to the top. 
Yeah, man. You guys can interact with us on social media on two different ways. First way is on Facebook. You know, search us out, Main Event Status Radio, or you know, like us there, or go to our uh, URL, facebook.com slash Main Event Status Radio. Again, that's facebook.com slash Main Event Status Radio. Like us there, interact with us there, and we're also on the Twitter machine. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they interact with you on the Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Beverly Hills M-E-S. And for me, it's at Dirty Dog M-E-S, as in, or dog, as in D-A-W-G, at <laughs> Dirty Dog M-E-S. And Mr. Beverly yes. Hills, do you have any final words of wisdom or encouragement or just plain words for part four of YouTube from A to Z? Oh man, not not much. I mean, we're gonna be finishing. Just uh, just go be awesome to each other. Be good. Be nice. For Mister Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Adios, men adventures. Get nasty sized. There is Adrian Street. Sometimes he leaves me at a loss for words. But he never seems to be at a loss for reaction or action. Then the time when I said goodbye, and now I'm back, and not ashamed to cry. Ooh, baby, here I am, signed to deliver. I'm yours. Well, I said goodbye And now I'm back And now I see me cry Ooh, baby Here I am Good night, everybody! That's so good.